You are listening to the official Sasta podcast with me, Harry Stebbings, and I'd love to hear your thoughts and feedback on the show. And you can do so on Instagram at hstebbings1996 with two Bs, where you can also suggest both guests and questions for future episodes. However, to our episode today, and we always hear that today more than ever, truly global businesses can be built from anywhere. And today we're taking you to Chennai, India, and I'm thrilled to welcome Krish Subramanian, founder and CEO at Chargebee, to the hot seat. For those that don't know, Chargebee is the startup that lets you go beyond billing, payment, and recurring invoices to delivering subscription experiences that wow. To date, Chargebee have wowed some of the world's leading VCs to the tune of $24 million, including the likes of Insight Venture Partners, Tiger Global, and Excel Partners. As for Krish, under his leadership, the team has grown to over 200 people and over 5,000 clients, making it one of the next generation of truly global SaaS businesses built out of India. I'd also want to say a huge thank you to Liat Tiger for the fantastic question suggestions today. I really do so appreciate that. But before we we move into the show today, there's no argument from me on this. SaaS companies that adopt company-wide goal setting then execute aligned SaaS growth initiatives in areas like sales, marketing, and customer success grow faster. And let's be honest, we all know that using spreadsheets to manage this is far from optimal. Well, I've got good news for you. Zocri allows you to track all your metrics, create goals, and align and optimize your team's activities, creating a smarter and more powerful SaaS growth engine. And if you sign up for a trial today, you can try Zocri free in Q1 and see its positive impact on metrics like MQLs, SQLs, MRR, and churn. So the most important thing you might do today to help your SaaS business grow is go to Zokri.com, that's Z-O-K-R-I.com, to sign up now. And speaking of being smart with your operations, if you regularly listen to podcasts, you've heard of Betterment, the smart way to manage your money. They use cutting-edge technology to build you a personalized portfolio and provide you with fiduciary financial advice for one low transparent fee. But did you know that they can also provide your company with a 401 401k plan? Well, we all know that 401k plans and choosing them for your company can be a pretty time-consuming and confusing process. Well, with Betterment, it doesn't have to be. Betterment for Business is a turnkey 401k solution that offers ease of use, personalized financial advice, and very competitive pricing. And that's why the likes of Compass, Casper, and Harry's are just some of the companies that use Betterment's 401k to help further their employees' financial wellness. And you can learn more today at betterment.com slash sasta. That's betterment.com slash sasta. And finally, fundamentally, as a founder or operator, your most important job is people operations. It could be hiring execs. It could be developing managers, retaining that top talent. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies. It helps companies like Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and even run employee engagement surveys. And Lattice is the only solution that combines performance performance management and employee engagement so operators can really make sure top performers are happy and Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners. Just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive that offer. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. However, you've heard quite enough from me so now I'm thrilled to hand over to Krish Subramanian, founder and CEO at Charge B. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. 
Chris, it's absolutely fantastic to have you on the show today. A big hand to Lee at Tiger for the intro, but thank you so much for joining me today, Chris. Thank you so much, Harry, for having me on the show. Not at all, but I'd love to kick off today with a little bit about you. So tell me, Chris, how did you make your way into what I definitely call the wonderful world of SaaS and really come to found Charge B? Great question. I started my career building product in the old ASP model, the application service provider model, which was in some sense a false start before it was almost like a precursor to SaaS and my co-founders come from strong product engineering background from the network management system space with over 10 years of experience before starting Chargebee. But we always dreamt of starting company for a very long time and we saved up. For us, the inspiration was the likes of Joel Spolsky, his very popular blog, joelonsoftware.com was one of the inspirations from 2002, I think. And they went on to eventually create Stack Overflow Trello, which was all about bringing a very good, smart set of people together into a room allow them to solve a problem. And similarly, my co-founders were part of Advanced Journey, which later on morphed into Zoho. And that was also another inspiration. But by the time we started in 2011, cloud and SaaS made sense. Rather, I would say install software did not make any sense at all. <laughs> SaaS was where everything was happening and we felt that was natural. I mean, it's been incredible to see the growth of the industry. But with the growth of the industry, there's, there's been a lot of maybe preconceived wisdom and notions for founders building SaaS companies today. And so I want to maybe unpack two of them, being funding and then the word service in SaaS. So if we take these turn by turn, Krish, I'd love to start on the perceived wisdom of many founders today in terms of raising venture financing. When we chatted before, you said to me that you think maybe everyone should bootstrap. Can I ask, what's behind this thinking that everyone should bootstrap? In my opinion, bootstrapping is a state of mind. It just makes you more resourceful. So we bootstrapped through the first year and a half to two years. I'm very thankful for that. So the thing is, we all start with a pattern to want to see a particular problem solved with or without anyone's support, right? And with or without you, doggedness, I think, is very important to see a problem solved. And you also learn to treat money as a resource that can be used judiciously when it is available. So apart from this, I think the makeup of the mindset itself, I think it also provides you when you try to bootstrap your company through the initial days, it gives you the gestation period necessary to understand if you should really raise money for the product and the category. Because uh, raising capital gets you on a treadmill too soon. If you get on the treadmill too soon without enough thoughtfulness, it's very hard to get off the treadmill. Um, I know it sounds ridiculous that I am making this statement in a VC podcast and that too as a venture funded company. But I just think that bootstrapping is definitely helpful to build that part of the muscle memory especially for a first time founder. I think it is extremely important to understand the nuances of why you want to make the decision to raise capital and all that later. And it, you should know that it's a choice. It's something that you not everybody has to do or should. That's why I think bootstrapping is very important. No, I totally agree with you in terms of kind of the importance of that kind of capital constraint and what it breeds in terms of creativity. Can I ask, you said there about determining whether it's something that you should pursue and kind of having that gestation period. Can I ask, Krish, what are the signs that it is something that you should pursue and there is maybe longevity and real opportunity in the in the project that you're engaging with? When you look for signs, I think understanding the category that you're getting into is extremely important, right? I think the most important thing is alignment, right? Who you take capital from and there are different types of capital in the market that is available. There are alternate models of funding where it can be debt financing and then there are other models where you don't have to dilute using your cap table and then there is also the venture fund, right? Where angel investors and then the VCs where your alignment is definitely necessary 
to take an approach where you are able to go go for the home run right so when we look for signs of why you should take capital or not i think it is important to think about whether the, you are in a product or a category that aligns with the kind of capital that you are going to raise what i mean by that is there are different types of capital available in the market all the way from convert the debt to venture financing and if you are really going for venture financing you should be aligned with your vc's interest to attempt a home run i think that is extremely important to have to build the belief that you as a team are signing up to go on to build a transformational business and it is also aligned with the right kind of venture fund that can help you build that kind of team as well as the product and dominate that category i think that alignment is extremely necessary so trying to understand your own introspect being able to introspect your own nature and the category that you are in and the opportunity i think all those are extremely important before you are able to make this thoughtful decision and you obviously found that alignment with excel and with leah tiger because you've raised over 25 million now from the previously mentioned can i ask krish what was that inflection point or moment that you thought yes now is the right time to to really raise a, a significant amount of money and go for that home run so we have raised three rounds of capital one from uh, axel partners tiger global and insight venture partners so even though we raised our first round of funding in 2013 end of 2013 it was only last year that we were convinced that we should raise a big round of capital to explain that a bit in 2013 axel investment happened because it was a convergence of series of conversations that we had with them that helped us shape our thoughts so i really enjoyed spending more and more time talking about the problem category is it a feature product or is it a category and then the partner was as enthusiastic as we were about the space right so it was more about the team and the problem in the early days tiger investment was also very similar because that happened in early 2015 uh, when we were relatively early like for tiger investment it was relatively early stage and we were scaling but we were still experimenting with pricing and product to break open the category but when it comes to the inflection point i think we continue to operate without external taking external investment for close to 3 years since then to ensure that we had the right product market fit and also how to break open this category but once the metrics aligned and then we were able to find the right fit in certain categories where certain segments of market i think uh, at some point you realize that your ability to scale becomes a function of your sales capacity and getting more leads i think you just understand it when you are hitting the stage where when there are more deals on the table than you can handle and you know that you can sell more if only you had more people to pay more attention to every person who shows up at your doorstep i think it's time to scale i think that is how i would read inflection point I couldn't agree with you more there in terms of that inflection point. I I do want to touch on the other element though that is often maybe suggested as a preconceived notion being the word service in SaaS and maybe its perception as being negative. In our previous discussions you said to me that that was maybe a wrong thought. Can I ask Chris then with that in mind why is the word service in SaaS not such a bad word after all? Let's say you imagine trying to build a Mailchimp competitor today and say you also build it for a legacy industry like let's say hospitality industry. One it is very hard to match all the features of mailchimp on day 1 right or even uh, in a year but your customers may be having a huge pain point with mailchimp let's say without any uh, specific integrations now what do you do you can either choose to wait for your product to mature but then mailchimp will catch up or you think about other ways of solving it right for example support and service are the fastest way to bridge the gap in your product that your product cannot solve today and when you focus on just solving the customer problem leveraging what you have with your saas 
product you could uh, come up with a very creative ways of doing it like exposing an api and then doing the last mile integration on the customer side by taking assistance from agency from an agency or doing it yourself so that way i think the job of the pre sales team should be to solve a customer problem and this includes understanding the ecosystem of services used by the customer uh, other saas products used by the customer and even deploy services to solve it i think the one more reason is we are moving into a world with so many saas products stacked up one against other and it is only natural that this explosion will continue so i think it's time we learn to embrace that service is an essential part of saas instead of trying to avoid it i totally agree with you that can i ask in terms of the services that one's able to provide does that correlate to maybe a specific price so if one's serving the smb market where maybe the average kind of monthly fee is 10 dollars versus an enterprise where it's $50,000 a year how do you think about the ability to service with the differing prices is it completely feasible with low prices if it is low price right if your product is priced under let's say $100 you should definitely think about providing assistance for service through your customer support where you are offering solution and not necessarily doing that as a service right the reason i say that is i'll qualify why i say that my take is that as long as you are able to break even with services to earn your higher margin saas revenue you don't have to make money on services that is number 1 and then i want to balance that perspective with the other side which is service revenue is a very slippery slope right meaning if you get addicted to service revenue it can derail your product focus so it's something extremely important to think about but what are you going to really use this for if the service revenue helps you retain and grow with your customers then it's absolutely worth it right if you are able to do that one additional integration that will help you win the deal that will help you retain the customer for a longer time it's absolutely worth it go for it the expansion revenue earned from that customer is of very high quality because the cost of the revenue for the delta that you are getting is almost nothing so for me the thumb rule is not necessarily based on the size of the deal as such rather the lifetime value and the potential for expansion should be the major drivers for how you make that decision do you think that services component and that willingness to engage in services should be maybe a core tenant from the beginning or is it something that you introduce two or three years in when you have sales teams built out customer success teams built out and you integrate it over time a very good question i think your founder time is extremely precious initially only offer solutions through support would be my advice don't try to do this yourself early on we used to actually have a list of agencies every customer who was integrating with us we would ask them how they are doing that and if we have identify some very good integration partners that they are using that they vouch for we used to keep a list of them and then refer them to our customers if they would like to use them but from our time we would value that very highly where we will only do customer support as a full solution to tell them how to do it but we wouldn't do it we would rather refer others to make money but offer the full solution i think uh, you are spot on about that recommendation which is once you start hiring people where you are able to expand your time by hiring more people i think that is a time to do services yourself but to be honest at charge we we still don't make any service revenue but what we try to do is have a list of agencies through which we do it and allow them to make money absolutely no i completely agree with you in terms of kind of leveraging the team's time there but we did speak about the margin it makes me immediately think to price and we've chatted before about price and i loved it because often today transparency and pricing is kind of touted as this holy grail but you've said to me before that it's maybe 
be overrated. Can I ask, Krish, what makes you think that it's maybe overrated? <laughs> what leads the thinking here? This comes from someone where we still have listed price or transparent pricing on our website. Uh, my opinions have changed over a period of time. But I'm, for disclosure, I think we still will have continue to have transparent pricing on our website. But here's my understanding, right? From our vantage point, we look at so many SaaS companies that use us. And see, for me, I think for an outbound driven funnel, you really do not have to have the pricing listed is one. Even for an inbound marketing driven sales funnel, I think it is important to earn the customer's trust when they are visiting your website to help them understand and navigate to help them know if you are a $3,000 per annum product or a $30,000 per annum product, depending on their scale. But if they are not able to make their mind, then the only option is to talk to someone before they are able to even find out who uh, you are or who do you sell to. I think if you are able to get that information across to the customer or a prospect without having to reveal the pricing, you definitely have a huge advantage. The reason I say this is pricing acts as a filter of who signs up with you or who engages with you and what they are really looking for is guidance to know if this product is the right one for me, right? Am I dealing with a marketo at a $2,000 per month or am I looking at, let's say, another automation tool like at uh, $200 per month? Now, what they look for is transparency in the overall transaction and if you are in a product or a category, uh, if your product category and segment requires thorough research, maybe offer a sandbox environment for them to play around with, identify how much of a product qualifiedly they are and also have your inside sales team to engage with them better. I think it can turn out to be a huge advantage in your favor. But I definitely think SaaS companies should try something through the early stage. One is experiment with pricing through the early stages, including having pricing on your website and not having pricing on your website. Rather, only put the bundles, pricing bundles and indication to test the quality of leads. You leverage products like Clearbit to qualify every single lead. Even when you don't have a product to sell, have a form, collect the leads, test who's signing up, right? And who signs up is a function of what you say on the website and what pricing you have on the website. If you make it too cheap, you get your value metric wrong. You may invite a segment of customers who are price sensitive. You price it too high, you may ignore the right ones that you want. So I think what is more important is a culture or a, or a mindset for continuous testing of your pricing. And when you do that, always grandfather pricing and honor existing price for customers is a, a definite rule that you need to follow. But more importantly, test your lead funnel with and without pricing on your website. You may surprise yourself with the results. Can I ask, what's the right time to test for? Obviously, you don't want to engage in something that's maybe damaging for the long term, but you also want to get enough data to really determine whether something is right or not. Is it 24 hours? Is it seven days? Is it a month? How do you think about the right time to test for? I think at least every few months is something that I would highly recommend because pricing changes or any change in something related to pricing is very, very hard. I would definitely recommend at least once a year or once in one and a half years is a revision that you should think about because you are continuously adding value to your capability. Of course, grandfather your existing prices uh, customers forever uh, but for new customers you should definitely test prices but when it comes to pricing experimentation I think if you are thinking about freemium because a lot of companies think about freemium I would definitely highly recommend that you try this in the very early days because once you scale with after product market fit it gets increasingly harder to make changes to pricing because of the in- inertia and the internal resistance right imagine you having to introduce premium and you also need to tell your salespeople that they may not earn their commission or variable pay because you introduce premium, right? It's a very hard journey to actually make such a decision and and these conversations get harder later. So my recommendation is all the experiments with respect to freemium, try them early on. But if you really want to know how frequently you should test 
pricing, go to web.archive.org and look at Shopify's pricing page since 2012. You will be amazed by the number of experiments that run on a daily basis, all the small, small things in copy to everything else. So when we say test pricing, it's not just pricing alone. It's also the value metric that you can change without having to really change your price. It forces your customer to actually, your prospects are likely to choose another plan over another plan X or Y because you changed a particular value metric. So I think it's an almost like everyday thing. I absolutely love that on the testing of Shopify. I haven't seen that. So I will absolutely go and check that out straight afterwards. You mentioned freemium there being obviously a big topic for founders in terms of considering pricing. Another element that I often get asked is there's a lot of similar products in the market, Harry. Shall we just copy the pricing? I'm interested, Chris. How do you think about reinventing the wheel and trying to be innovative on pricing versus copying what maybe works in market already? Great question. I think this is definitely something that everybody struggles with in the early days, right? The question I think is, yes, you can copy pricing, but can you also copy their acquisition funnel? Because fundamentally pricing fit is a function of your lead quality or your ability to acquire leads and service them profitably. Let's say you do outbound emails and phone calls to acquire leads paying $100,000 on target earnings. How many deals do you need to sell at $100 per month for the salesperson to earn their 100% variable? I think it requires much more thoughtfulness than copying pricing because it is, it is easy to get started by just copying the price. But I think what needs to be done is thoroughly study all aspects of uh, when you look at uh, copying the price, also look at how they acquire customers, study every aspect of how they are servicing customers and everything, right? Uh, for a self-service product, somebody can sell a product at $100 and they may be getting all inbound leads. And if you try to copy the price with a broken model where if you have to acquire everybody outbound, then nobody can help you, right? So I think it is important to study all aspects and not just something in isolation. Absolutely. No, in the UK, we would say you are up shit creek in that situation. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I do want to ask one final question on pricing, Krish, and it's another one that I get a lot, and it's about kind of usage-based pricing. And how do you think about maybe installing and kind of putting to work usage-based pricing without disincentivizing users to fundamentally use the product? Is there a solution to this thought? What you are trying to find is essentially a way to align with your customer's growth. I think one, one lever that you definitely have is bundling, product bundling. is a very interesting way to reframe the problem in customer's mind. There are a couple of things, right? One is who is making the choice of the product at the, from a decision standpoint, the perception of your pricing matters with respect to being able to make a simple choice to say, yes, let me try this product. And actual buying really happens later after they get to experience your product and they are able to go through the motions of understanding the value of your product. So we really need to look at these two separately. So the product bundling is a very interesting way where by having a very good way to bundle your features and based on the size of your customer's organization and the, or the usage pattern, you could come up with some very interesting ways. For example, let's say you want to charge by users or storage capacity as a value metric. You could bundle and allocate a certain number of users and storage capacity for that works for 99% of the customers at that stage. Also, you can try to align with customers' growth instead of usage. Let me give you a bad example. Bad example would be trying to charge for number of integrations or number of 
data points that you consume instead of number of accounts managed for a customer success product. And you clearly know that the customers get more value out of your product when they have more integrations and more data coming in. If you try to charge for integrations or number of API calls and all that, then that would be a very bad way to align. So I think uh, price bundles and the grouping of features would definitely be a very interesting way to uh, work around this problem. Now on pricing, Christian, final question before we move into the quick fire. I heard that your first kind of dollar win and significant dollar win was an unusual one. So tell me, what was the unusual nature of this and were there any lessons from this? Sure. Our first check that we won was with a competitor at that time. <laughs> so this was this was Spreedly who had a like-for-like solution then and we had a prospect inquiry and we were still building, uh, we, were, we had our product in alpha or something like that and I felt that Spreedly might be a better fit after hearing all the requirements and I come from a very customer service world and then I told prospect to check out Spreedly and then the prospect also spoke with them and then they also happened to mention how they found them and very interestingly what Spreedly felt was that even they had some gaps and felt that if we actually put our products together it would be a much better value proposition for the customer and Justin Benson who was the CEO of Spreedly who is the CEO of Spreedly reached out to me asking if we want to go together to the customer which was very interesting and the reason why Justin and I got talking was that I always used to actually write congratulatory notes to competitors because who better than to actually cheer for than somebody who's already solving the same problem for the very same reasons just like you right that's how I look at competitors so I think that helps open up channels for communication and this opened up the first big opportunity for us where this was like a Netflix for India that one of the largest groups in India was trying to build and that became our the first check as well as one of the the four four digit uh, check with the dollar win that we were able to get winning the splitting the check with a competitor and it turned out that Spreedly pivoted later and we became one of the customers for Spreedly as well so listen I absolutely love that story of writing letters and I think it's a testament to you as a character but I do want to move into uh, my favorite of any interview Chris I have to admit being what we call the 60 second sasta so I say a short statement and then you give me your immediate thoughts does that sound good sure <laughs> right. challenges of building a global business out of India. That was from Lee at Tiger. The playbook of what works for your product or category, talent mm, comes to mind. I think capital is everywhere. Uh, definitely unique playbook and talent is hard. Those are the two major challenges. Tell me a moment in your life, Krish, that's maybe served as an inflection point and changed the way you think. It was a very personal thing for me. I met with an accident 12 years back with both of my legs crashed and I recovered alone in US with friends. My family was still here my parents were still in India then and it took seven months for me to start walking all over again but definitely made me realize how short life is and also to value relationships I think that was a very important moment in my life to take a look at life with fresh perspectives absolutely what do you believe Chris that most around you disbelieve that I used to be very arrogant uh, <laughs> or rather <laughs> or maybe not right maybe they still feel that I am yeah I think uh, I, I when, when it was I think uh, around till I was 25 26 before this accident I used to be extremely arrogant too proud of my skills that I bring to the table and all that I think the identity just got to my head then I think life turned around <laughs> and then final one what do you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of your time with Charge B yeah I think one thing I definitely learned is to use what I wish I had learned 
much earlier was uh, alignment of the entire team with respect to the goals right within the constraints that you have how to bring that alignment is something that i wish i had learned much earlier i think it was a personally hard journey going through that as a founder to actually get there absolutely no it is indeed but chris listen I, i'm obviously a huge fan of the product so thank you so much for joining me on the show today and it really has been such a pleasure thank you so much for having me it was great chatting with you thank you I mean, what can I say? Such a huge fan of Krishia's, and I want to say a huge thank you to him for giving up the time today to be on the show. And if you'd like to see more from him, you can find him on Twitter at CBKrish. Likewise, a huge hand to Lee at Tiger for the fantastic question suggestions today. I really do so appreciate that. It'd be fantastic to see you behind the scenes here at Sasta on Instagram at hdebbings1996 with two Bs. However, before we leave you today, there's no argument from me on this. SaaS companies that adopt company-wide goal setting then execute aligned SaaS growth initiatives in areas like sales, marketing, and customer success, grow faster. And let's be honest, we all know that using spreadsheets to manage this is far from optimal. Well, I've got good news for you. Zocri allows you to track all your metrics, create goals, and align and optimize your team's activities, creating a smarter and more powerful SaaS growth engine. And if you sign up for a trial today, you can try Zocri free in Q1 and see its positive impact on metrics like MQLs, SQLs, MRR, and churn. So the most important thing you might do today to help your SaaS business grow is go to Zokri.com, that's Z-O-K-R-I.com to sign up now. And speaking of being smart with your operations, if you regularly listen to podcasts, you've heard of Betterment, the smart way to manage your money. They use cutting-edge technology to build you a personalized portfolio and provide you with fiduciary financial advice for one low transparent fee. But did you know that they can also provide your company with a 401k plan? Well, we all know that 401k plans and choosing them for your company can be a pretty time-consuming and confusing process. Well, with Betterment, it doesn't have to be. Betterment for Business is a turnkey 401k solution that offers ease of use, personalized financial advice, and very competitive pricing. And that's why the likes of Compass, Casper, and Harry's are just some of the companies that use Betterment's 401k to help further their employees' financial wellness. And you can learn more today at betterment.com slash Sasta. That's betterment.com slash Sasta. And finally, fundamentally, as a founder or operator, your most important job is people operations. It could be hiring execs. It could be developing managers retaining that top talent. And that's why you need Lattice. Lattice is the number one people management solution for growing companies. It helps companies like Asana, Reddit, and Cruise build a really strong company culture. And with Lattice, it's easy to launch 360 reviews, share ongoing feedback, facilitate one-on-ones, set up goal tracking, and even run employee engagement surveys. And Lattice is the only solution that combines performance management and employee engagement. So operators can really make sure top performers are happy. And Lattice is giving away three months of Lattice free to Sasta listeners, just go to lattice.com forward slash Sasta to receive that offer. That's L-A-T-T-I-C-E dot com forward slash Sasta. Build an award-winning culture with Lattice, the number one people management solution. As always, I really can't thank you enough for your support for the show. It means so much to me and I cannot wait to bring you an exceptional episode next week.